I believe in the Bedford. Fishing has made my fortune, and I made my empire in the Portuguese fashion. I gave them my fleet quotas, but I taught my crew never to dishonor the government. We found the gray souls and abs, not haddock. We tossed them back into the water. We kept fishing. I didn't protest. <laughs> Two months ago, my crew went out for a catch with another boat. The other boat made them catch flounders and then tried to entice them into crooked dealings. My crew resisted. They kept up their honor. So my crew was beaten and catch sales. When I went to the port, the hole was empty. The nets were ripped and tangled, held together by shells. They couldn't even weep because of the embarrassment. But I wept. Why did I weep? My boat was the light of my life. A bountiful boat. Now she will never be bountiful again. Sorry. I went to the NOAA like a good fisherman. This crooked crew was brought to trial. The judge sentenced them to three years in prison and suspended a sentence. Suspended a sentence. <laughs> they went to sea that very day. <laughs> I stood in the courtroom like a fool and those bastards, they smiled at me. And I said to my wife, for justice, we must go to Dom Raphael. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. All right. Um, wow. Well, that was very good. I and like that. I, yeah, then once it ends, just... Yeah, yeah. Is that... And then, so then after that, is that where he's like, you come to me yeah. on this day of my daughter's yeah. wedding? Where he's like, what would you have me do? And then he whispers in his yeah. ear, kill them. You want me to do murder for money? No, that I cannot do. <laughs> oh, man. You come to me on the day of my daughter's clam bake. Yeah. <laughs> you ask me to do a fishing for money. Be my friend. I can eat. <laughs> Card father. Oh, man. Hey, um, you're going to be uh, my friend. <laughs> God father. Oh, dude. Hey, that rocks. Um, yeah. Well, good job. That was really good. All right. So now let's just. Uh... Yeah, so like I was saying, so I have my I have my uh, new little recording booth set up, right? My little the portable kind of ghetto cube, and I've been <laughs> I've been <laughs> I don't know why, but all I want to do is like present it to people as like my new jack off cube. <laughs> like this is my new <laughs> private chamber. It's like I'm sick of jacking off in my room, but I also don't want to be a bother, so. What I did is I made my own private cube, so, like, if someone else is in here watching a movie... Yeah, it should dampen the sound. All I'm saying is if the curtain's closed, yeah. just mind your own business. Cause... Yeah, so, like, one one of your roommates walks upstairs, and he just goes, Hey, what's up? What's up with that, uh... The black cube up there? What's yeah, going on what's with going that? on with the black cube? And the cube? other one's just like, oh, that's Cam's cube. That's the... <laughs> <laughs> that's the isolation cube. Um, don't, I mean... I'd say knock, but <laughs> uh, yeah. no. So it's actually navy Don't blue on the outside. 
It's black oh, on the inside, but yeah, these are two colored, and so I, I kind of like that. I did the black interior, but the exterior is navy blue, so I feel like that seems a little less fucked up. It's not like my own personal like darkness cube. I mean, it is inside, and I find it really nice. I find it really relaxing. Yeah, you should get you should get like a little like a roof to it, and then you could put like a little lamp in there. Yeah, so I actually have a lamp in here. If if I turn uh-huh. the lamp off. It's oh, shit. dark as shit. Yeah, I've got you beat. What I should do is get, like, a black light, and then I can put, um, like, artwork inside. But I lift these up when I'm not recording, you know, because there's a window, and you can get light in the room and everything. So, yeah, hopefully things sound a little better. We'll see. Yeah. I mean. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. see. We'll see the best laid plans of mice and men. Yeah. Um, all right. So do you do you want to kick us off? Uh, yeah. So, um, so first off, uh, you know, we've got, we've got our first sponsor for today. Um, so, <laughs> so I'd like to read an ad spot. Um, mm-hmm. today's episode of Left on Red is sponsored by the same great people that have brought you such excellent products as the Dad and Friends Sunday Funday Barbecue Dad Gloves and Monsieur <laughs> Mousseau's Bang Bang Funtime Beach Party. That's right, folks. It's Dan Gallows and Fellows Seafood Slop and Trial. I knew it. I knew with our, it. <laughs> with our all-new patented long bucket seating, you and 10 of your closest friends and family can come on down to Dan Gallows and Fellows and have a wet and wild time at our Seafood Slop and Trial. With such, with such exciting flavor sensations as, I can't believe it's not Haddock, just prawn things, and oops, all cephalopods, the seafood, <laughs> the seafood sloppy trough is sure to be a hollering good time. So head on down to your neighborhood location and tell them Left on Red sent you for 15% off. Dan Gellows and fellows, mmm, now that's slop. <laughs> now, now with more yeast. <laughs> Dude, man, that's awesome. So did you do that? Did you? Was that your plan all along? Dude, so uh, literally like last week, I woke up. I don't even think I had showered yet. I woke up, and within like the first 30 seconds of me like being up and standing up, I was like, oh shit, I got like, an ad spot to write. And I just like sat down at the computer, wrote it down real quick. That's just so funny. Showered and went, and then just went to work. And so, then, uh, and then I decided to do the Codfather, and well, it just made sense to read just, it for this episode. It just made sense. So I love that. So. I texted you today asking if it was Dan Gellows because I found a picture of our old... So for oh, really? the uninitiated... Oh, I didn't even see that. Yeah, I, I found the picture of the old uh, thing that we had in our kitchen. So for the uninitiated, Evan and I have essentially been doing a podcast for 10 years, but like <laughs> just us, like <laughs> yeah. with no audience or recording equipment. We've just been coming up with bits. So Dan Gellows and Fellows is like is like a, a an eight-year-old restaurant. Yeah, that's when we lived together. Yeah, we Evan and I lived together. Yeah, we, wrote, we like had like a little sign for it. We had a apartment. little specials board on our fridge. It said Dan yeah. Gellows and Fellows, uh, half size seafood slop and trough, only fifteen ninety nine. Um, now with an uh, an extra big yeasty boy or something like that. And yeah, we got like the little. Oh my Marcus. god, I didn't even see that text. Yeah, man, I I <laughs> oh, was so excited, funny. dude. So when you started doing it, I was like, wait, did he do this because of the text, or was this the plan all along? And do I just do I, I just the big yeasty boy? I just I know did. my I boy. Totally yeah, I found it because I, so I was looking through for old photos um, yeah. pertaining to today's episode, and I also yeah. sent you one of those. Yeah. Um, I found uh, a really good one, and like a photo and it had some Carlos Rafael boats in it. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, so. I saw that. For some reason, I just look, looked right past uh, the Dan Gellows and Fellows. That's so funny. But uh, yeah, I, uh, I I personally, folks, am a big fan of the Oops All Cephalopods uh, flavor. So, Cam, what's yours? My favorite flavor is uh, is uh, banana gravy. <laughs> what? Yeah, well known among uh, local Dan Gellis and fellows. <laughs> yeah, man, sailors love banana gravy. <laughs> There's nothing right. that keeps nothing keeps your belly full on the high seas like banana gravy. All right. Uh, um, yeah. I don't so, know why you're laughing so much. It's good, but yeah. Uh, all right. Um, well, hello and welcome <laughs> um, to episode four. Episode four of the Left on Red podcast. Yeah. Uh, this is as you can, no, as hey. you can tell from the uh, the opening monologue. <laughs> this one is about a uh, one of my favorite New Bedford stories. Yeah, the uh, Codfather. The Codfather. Yeah, this, Carlos uh, Rafael. This coarse talking son of a bitch, Carlos Rafael. Yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, I figured uh, we'll start the story um, where every good story starts at the end. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, <laughs> we're big Tarantino guys, and we're just yeah. we're gonna really dig into that. Yep. So uh, so for those not in New Bedford or who somehow missed this story, uh, who are in New Bedford, Carlos Rafael was this uh, or is I guess he's still alive, but he uh, is a fisherman. Um, who at one point owned one of the largest commercial fishing businesses in the entire United States. Uh, he's now 68 years old and is just wrapping up a prison sentence. Um, but in 2017, he was sentenced to 46 months in prison and three years of supervised release. Uh, and his sentence included a ban uh, of working in the uh, fishing industry for the rest of his life. Uh, and he was also ordered to pay a $200,000 fine and restitution to the U.S. Treasury of a little on, uh, under 110000 So I want you to keep those two numbers in your head. So like what, I'm like 300000 total worth of money owed? Yeah, so that was that was what he had to give up. Cool. 300000 uh, And now I'm going to read directly from the Department of Justice. Uh, uh, they released it on their website. So in March 2017... Rafael pleaded guilty to one count of conspiring to commit offenses against the United States, 23 counts of false labeling and fish identification, two counts. <laughs> yeah, this is a real. That's a that's a charge. <laughs> Dude, that's why I love. I'm really excited for this episode because yeah. I'm super. I feel like the news is always going on and on and on about like all the same crimes, like capital murder and like embezzling. And you hear about like the same 10 things over and over again. And I'm really excited about this one's like about fish tomfoolery, 23 counts of <laughs> false fish identification. Yeah. Oh man. He's a, these are bluefin tunas. Uh, Carlos. Um, I, <laughs> I don't fucking know. But you wrote down attic. You wrote down attic, Carlos, Carlos. <laughs> I told you, man, he's a bluefin tuna. Epa, Epa. Man. that's what I had. Don't man. talk to me about a haddock. I think Carlos Rafael knows a bacalao when he sees a bacalao. <laughs> All right, so uh, right, again, right back to the, the judgment. Uh, two counts of falsifying federal records. One count of, of bulk cash smuggling. <laughs> and one count of tax evasion. Uh, he was initially arrested and charged in February 2016. 
<laughs> Raphael, the owner of Carlos Seafood Inc., based in New Bedford, Massachusetts, owned 32 fishing vessels through independent corporate shells and 44 permits, which amounted to one of the largest commercial fishing businesses in the United States. Mr. Raphael profited at the expense of other hardworking commercial fishermen by falsifying records so he could keep fishing while they were sidelined, said acting United States attorney William D. Weinreb. The court accurately described Mr. Raphael's actions as systematic corruption. He will now face the consequences of violating federal laws designed to sustain the New England fishery. So, yeah, okay. So to clarify for the listener, and this is, I I don't know, Evan did the research for this episode, um, so I'm not going to go too crazy here, but I used to work like right on the waterfront and Evan lives like a quarter of a mile from the waterfront. And, uh, New Bedford, a lot of people don't realize, but New Bedford is is one of the largest, as he said, one of the largest fishing ports in the world commercially, uh, well, in the country at least, um, huge fish port. And w- for the longest time, um, you know, I could see like right out the window of the bar that I worked in, um, like one in four boats in this entire port was a big green Carlos Rafael boat, and they all had the same paint theme to them. And they all had names that were named after, like, his family members. Usually it was, like, Portuguese women names. But, um, yeah, like, you you could look out and and you were guaranteed if you looked to the left and looked to the right to see, you know, if you saw ten boats, four of them were Carlos Rafael. And uh, it was pretty crazy. And he was around. I I met the guy. I met the guy a couple times. He was just a guy. Yeah. He He was was, like uh... a bald Portuguese man. Who uh, said motherfucker a lot? Yeah, he was he was kind of coarse. I so I won't pretend that I like was buddies with him, um, but he would come into the place where I worked and um, drink Bud Heavies <laughs> and like just be. Just no, be a he seemed like a normal guy. I didn't know anything about him. I knew nothing yeah. about him. I, I would never have have pegged him as the Codfather. Yeah. He didn't look like a mobster or anything. He was just like a dude and. Checkered short sleeve button down shirts tucked into blue jeans. Yeah. With like New Balance, white New Balance sneakers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> yeah, just, just a normal dad. Guy, he just... And he was just mobbed the fuck up. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently. So, um, yeah. Uh, so, uh, now that I've given you the background on, uh, what happens uh, to Carlos Rafael right there. Uh, I'm going to go way back to uh, the early 20th century and just go through some history of, uh, of fishing in New England and especially in New Bedford. So this timeline that I'm about to go through comes straight from uh, the Fishing Heritage Center in New Bedford. Um, so that's a, it's a physical uh, museum uh, dedicated to New, Eng- uh, New Bedford fishing. But they also have a website, fishingheritagecenter.org, and uh, they have this huge, uh, nice historical timeline. So I'll just go through some of uh, some of that right now. <clears throat> so fishing in New Bedford begins with the famed whaling industry, uh, which, of course, was forever immortalized in a book that I know both Cameron and I have read, although for me it's been since uh, since high school, which is the Her- uh, which is Moby Dick by Herman Melville. Um, and that one, that book actually begins in New Bedford and the, uh, the famous whaling museum right here in New Bedford hosts an annual 24 hour Moby Dick readathon, which, uh, I, I did a chapter four in high school, actually. I went that's, up there and read it. That's fucking, that's awesome, dude. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
And yeah, I yeah. So the first recently, and you loved it. So I loved Moby Dick, and I didn't expect to. I I read it because I felt like I had to, and really quickly I was like, oh, this is like actually awesome. And um, I know some people don't get into Moby Dick, but I I don't know. I thought it was good, and I don't say that even to be like some literary pompous guy because I'm not. But um, I I thought it was awesome, and the first like couple chapters dealing with New Bedford are like incredibly not flattering they they describe it um and i feel like it stayed true to true to form they describe it as just like this like slimy scary like dingy place and you know uh ishmael walks into like a bar and i'm i forget all this isn't it supposed to be isn't it supposed to be like around like the union street area because i know back at the time that used to just go straight to the wire like the boats used to come up to like basically where the national club was oh my goodness okay yeah, yeah, so yeah, it's just I don't remember like all the details. This was like a year and a half ago now, but um yeah, he like everything is just like warped and freaky and I mean, I know that you and I have spent many a drunken night walking down those cobbled streets and it, it yeah. I don't know, it just felt really legit. <laughs> it yeah, wasn't a flattering very, image, it, but it can be very slimy. <laughs> yeah, New Bedford has a unique flavor and yeah. it will forever be in my heart. I mean, we lived there for a while, you still live there. Yeah, I've lived uh, here for almost 10 years at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Oh no, but. we've given away your location. <laughs> um, but yeah, so anyway, uh, around the turn of the 19th and 20th centuries, uh, the whaling industry would uh, wind down as commercial fishing began to take over. So at first, uh, you know, the the first New Bedford fleet, it contained small boats that were usually around 25 to 30 feet long, and these boats were used for scalloping or to catch mackerel, swordfish, or groundfish. Um, and then in 1909, Captain Dan Mullins began a series of innovations that reshaped the course of New Bedford commercial fishing Captain by instituting, Dan. <laughs> yeah, Captain Dan, uh, <laughs> by instituting a, uh, what was called a flounder dragger that uh, initially used wooden beams to hold the, the net open. Uh, the following year, a machinery company was established in the city uh, that began by servicing automobiles, but uh, Captain Dan would then uh, utilize it to develop his early gear. So wait, so, did he like invent the dragger? Like, yeah. Did, did, uh, did Captain Dan invent like the the dragging ship? Because you still see yeah. those go out there, and they're like basically like smaller ships, but they have you know like a I, I don't know all the terms, but like a winch hanging off the back with like a yeah. long crossbeam, and they just drag a net across the bottom, and they pick up yeah all I mean, sorts yeah. of stuff. I mean, the website said he he. Uh... He began a series of innovations by by instituting the the flounder dragger. Now, at first, it was just wooden beams, but eventually, it would obviously become more um, uh, um, well, not wooden beams. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> and I thought flounder dragger was just another word for my wife. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, uh, by World War One, the fleet uh, transitioned to large vessels with full decks, and uh, with the opening of the Cape Cod Canal. Uh, New Bedford's market uh, grew substantially and even uh, was subject to attacks by German U-boats in World War One. Um, so, damn, back. Yeah. Um, and then uh, the 1920s would see the, the official end to the whaling industry. And uh, from there, uh, the expansion of commercial fishing would continue really uh, for a long time, but especially uh, this rapid expansion until the 1940s. And so uh, I'm going to read now a quote from the Atlantic Fisherman magazine dated August 1931. Landings of all kinds of fish are on the increase in New Bedford. Approximately one half of the total amount of scallops caught in Massachusetts waters passes through New Bedford. Also, a large portion of the swordfish caught off the southern shore is brought to this port and finds a ready market. 
So it's really at this time that you especially see scalloping become really, really big in New Bedford. And uh, especially, you know, there are a few uh, areas nearby um, that are now under heavy protection. But at the time, they were just like so, so bountiful of scallops that they were just like fished on like an insane amount. Like overfished, like crazy. Scallops are still the, uh, they're one of the only consistently profitable. Yeah. Like fisheries in that area now still right like yeah. everything else i mean i mean at one point so like during during the course of this timeline at one point new bedford will uh almost every single scallop caught and sold in the u.s will come through new bedford wow which is insane um but i mean yeah that's how profitable these these regions were and i will say and this 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 is not uh i'm not being paid by big scallops um New Bedford scallops are the absolute yeah. peak, the pinnacle. I mean, never, never in my life have I had scallops as delicious as the scallops yeah. that come through the port of New Bedford. Literally every every single restaurant around the New Bedford area that gets their scallops, which I obviously do, right from uh, right from this port, are like beautiful, dude. Yeah, delicious. I'm not even yep. a big scallop guy. Yeah, me neither. I know you'd think still so to look at me. <laughs> like anytime anytime the question comes up you know what's hey guess my favorite food scallops everybody always says scallops it's yeah not true, scallop, but man. no the you know what the answer is what hot dogs hot dogs okay hot dogs with the skin off um oh. but i but scallops are a close close second and the new bedford scallop is the king all right uh, yeah, so by the late 1930s, New Bedford scalloping had taken off, and New Bedford was promoted as a major fishing center by the Seafood Producers Association. And then by the end of World War II, New Bedford's fleet was over 200 vessels, and it uh, brought in catches of over 100 million pounds. And by the late 40s, over 80% of the nation's scallop catches brought into New Bedford, and by 52, that number is over 85%. By the 60s, that number would be over 95%, and by the late 60s, uh, scalloping would already be on the decline. Mm. <clears throat> so um, I wonder when – I wonder when. Um, never mind. <laughs> I'll bring this up later. <laughs> okay. No, I was, I was going to say, I wonder when – when, <laughs> You'll bring it up now. I wonder, when, I wonder when commercial opiates were invented because I feel like maybe it was in the late 60s. Well, I mean – well, yeah, you kind of did have the CIA bringing in a lot of heroin through Vietnam, but yeah. um, really, I mean, it was uh, it was uh, Purdue in the '90s that that you really saw like oxy oh. and the rise of uh, that whole thing. Yeah, that's still like a massive epidemic, like especially in Massachusetts, but yeah, in the fishing industry. I mean, because those guys beat the shit out of their bodies. Yeah, I don't think anybody could argue that like working on a scallop boat is an easy job. I've never done it. I've known people that did it. It's hard work. But those guys will go out for you know twenty days and come back with twenty grand, and yeah. um, you know it's a, it's a hard life. But like, yeah. yeah, their bodies hurt. That's all I'll say. Yeah, and then they get so, hooked um, on these poor these poor guys get hooked on these meds. And anyway, this isn't an episode about that. But yeah. Yeah, maybe in the future we'll do a Purdue yeah. episode. All I'm saying is, you know, <laughs> the Purdue people need to get eaten. Yeah. Um, so then in 19, allegedly, they need to get they, eaten. Yeah, <laughs> I wouldn't, I don't condone Arrogate. eating anybody. I'm not a cannibal, nor would I ever suggest that anybody engage in cannibalistic activity. But if you were. Yeah, I mean, full disclaimer, 
Evan and I are not professional cannibals. Uh, we do not condone cannibalism. Let the record show. Let the record show. I have never been charged with eating a person. Uh, I have never served time for eating a person. Um, and any inquiries about cannibalism, I will direct to my to my lawyer. Yeah. Um, uh, my my shirt that says. I'm definitely not a cannibal. Seems to have people asking a lot of questions that are already answered by my shirt. And here's the thing. Yeah, people ask questions about the shirt. It's like, well, the shirt says it. I'm not a cannibal. This isn't like an ironic, funny shirt. I just want to put everybody's mind at ease. So many people ask me. You want to know the real answer to my favorite food? What? Third place scallops, second place hot dogs with the skin taken off. First place people. (laughs) It's a joke, guys. It's dry humor. God, you know, that's the problem with doing this podcast is I feel like nobody appreciates dry humor. Nobody appreciates. I had that. I have my notes open on my phone and it says do the cannibal bit. And it was just honestly, I was going to do it whether it came up or not. It's not relevant. It's not like I I just wrote down. It says do can do cannibal bit. Yeah, that's it. I have another I have another couple jokes. You want to hear? I actually did write a couple jokes down. The cannibal bits not on there. So the first one was the one I already did before. With, uh, you, you come to my house on the day of my daughter's clam bake, and you ask me to do illegal fishing for scallops. Anyway, um, but then I also <laughs> thought that at some point in the show there might be a good opportunity for like a, a Luca Brasi sleeps with the fishes joke. So I'm just going to give uh, – that's just the punchline. Yeah, let's do it right now. I, I don't know. Well, that was it. I don't know. Okay, yeah. <laughs> um, the listener can, can insert that one. Where, and then I, where they please. I have another one here. Uh, leave the gun. Take the calamari, you know? Like to leave the gun, take the cannoli. Um, may your first bacalao be a masculine bacalao. And then this is my favorite one. This is my last Godfather seafood joke. Ceviche is a dish best served cold. And a lot of people don't remember that revenge is a dish best served cold. That's that's from the Godfather. Yeah. That's Marlon Brando. Also uh, not legally a cannibal. Yeah. Yeah. No one has ever proven that Marlon Brando ate people. And he and I, uh, one of many things we have in common. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, uh, where were we? Jeez, you, you can't let me get off topic like that. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, you said that you wanted to, you said you wanted to go over the cannibal question. Hey, listen, so. I'm, not, I'm not the type of guy who's going to keep my friends on a leash, you know, allegedly. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. So in 1970, uh, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration is founded, also known as the NOAA. Um, since stocks across all of the New England fleets are diminishing by the mid-1970s, uh, with underutilized species beginning to be brought in to compensate for the lowering returns. Now, you're underutilized, that's your monk tail, your catfish, um, your sand dabs. <laughs> well, you made those up. <laughs> I've heard of catfish. You haven't heard of monk tail? I've heard of monkfish. Yeah, I don't know if it said monk tail. Sand dabs? Yeah, sand dab. I don't know. And then what's a what's a sand dab? They these all sound like uh, the guys who just float around. Is this what is this bottom. what Carlos got went to jail for? Is that what false fish identification is? What's uh, uh, it, what's uh, in the hold, Carlos? Uh, we got a uh, we got a uh, couple kilos we, of uh, candy bass, and we also got uh, we got some uh, we got cookie fish. No, you don't need a cookout. They're delicious. Uh, we also what we got there. Uh, we got a potato shark. It's a it's a it's a brown shark. Um, kind of looks like a potato. You know, it's a potato shark. Yeah, hundred thousand dollars for a potato shark. 
Yeah, push trust up. me. No, I've been doing this a long time. Trust me. <laughs> All right, so uh, 1982 saw the implementation of the Atlantic Sea Scallop Fishery Management Plan. Um, so this uh, this management plan had a few objectives. It was restoration of adult stocks in terms of their abundances and age distribution, um, which can be expected to reduce the year-to-year fluctuations in stock abundance caused by variation in recruitment, uh, enhancement of the yield per recruit for each stock, evaluation of the impact of the plan provisions on research, plan development, and enforcement costs, and minimization of adverse environmental impacts on stock levels and utilization. Yes, Cam, you have a question? Um, no, I just wanted to jump in and say, this isn't a joke, um, that uh, when Evan talks about stocks, he's not talking about like the stock market, although this is big money. He's talking about fish stocks. It's kind of like the fish stock market. Yeah, well, I mean, it kind of is. The, the yeah. only reason I mention that is because as I'm listening to you, I'm realizing like that. I feel like that it could easily be mistaken, right? We're not talking about stocks in the stock market. We're talking about like stocks of fish in particular areas of the ocean and like making sure that they're not depleted. I mean, I did say restoration of the adult stocks. Yeah, no, I know, but you haven't heard of um, kid stocks? <laughs> okay, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, 1984. Um, New Bedford became the number one port in the nation by landing value. I just downloaded uh, Robinhood Teen. It's the new, it's the new hip stock trading app. It's got Billy. It's got Billy Eilish for kids. Great. <laughs> <laughs> so, so in 1985, uh, a strike occurs between the um, New Bedford Fishermen's Union and the boat owners. Uh, the strike is over the shares of the catch, paying of expenses, hiring, and the pension fund, and involves over 700 fishermen and 100 vessels. The strike would end in 1986 and see the end of organized labor in the fishing fleet. Huh, isn't that funny? There was a <laughs> <laughs> a union in the 80s being, uh, being uh, busted. Hmm. <laughs> so anyway, uh, the 90s see more changes in scallop management by limiting days at sea, new gear regulations, and a monitoring system in scallop permit allocation. Uh, parts of the Georgia's Bank and Nantucket Lightship are closed to both groundfish and scallop fleets, further harming the fleet of New Bedford. So those are those are the big scalloping areas. Yeah. Um, and then in 1996, the Sustainable Fisheries Act uh, further restricts catches to prevent overfishing, and a federal fleet buyback program is implemented to reduce permits and vessels. So they're and, buying back permits from. Yeah. And yeah, just saying, so look, we don't fewer. want you to fish. We'll pay you to give us back your permit. And now, a mouthful of a government act uh, incoming, the Magnuson-Stevens Fishery Conservation and Management Reauthorization Act of 2006. Uh, a classic little MSFCAMRA of 2006. Uh, institutes annual catch limits and is the impetus for individual fishing quotas or catch shares. And then by 2015... Carlos Seafood, owned by Carlos Rafael, would be the largest fishing fleet in New Bedford with 37 draggers. Again, that's the, you know, like the type that was created by uh, old Captain Dan. Yeah. And 12 scallop boats. So that's for, for frame of reference. Uh, it's before you were talking about like there being a hundred ships total in the New Bedford fishing yeah. fleet in like 200 the, at one point, 200 yeah. at one point. And so here's Carlos Rafael through his various subsidiary subsidiaries. And he owns what? Yeah, I mean, 49? Yeah. Yeah, it's like a quarter of the boats. Yeah. Well, yeah, there's fewer boats now. 
Right. Guess, there are fewer boats now, right? There's like, what, yeah. is, what are they like? Are there 100 boats in New Bedford? Do you know? I'm not even sure. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Oh, uh, yes. Um, what did you oh, What did you spend your time doing? Oh, shut up. Just, shut up, dude. <laughs> Jesus. Um, but so, uh, you know, you see that authoriz- a reauthorization act of the bullshit, the word salad um, in 2006, uh, institute those annual catch limits and which created the quotas. It's really at that time, you know, Carlos Rafael has been going for a while, but this is when he really starts taking off. And it's because he was buying up those quotas uh, and he was getting as many as he could. And then he was doing some fraudulent ass shit. <laughs> so, so, the so I'll, I'll get into his scheme. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So let's get back to the man himself, Carlos motherfucking Rafael. Um, so by 2015, you know, he had those 49 boats and by 16, uh, he would find himself at the center of a Byzantine criminal enterprise that included fake Russian mobsters, fraudulent fish catches, and mountains of cash stuffed into duffel bags that was being uh, uh, hidden away in the Azores with the aid of a corrupt sheriff's deputy. <laughs> An Azorian sheriff's deputy? No, no, <laughs> no. And, uh, Massachusetts one. Was it the Bristol County Sheriff? I'm not sure. Uh, I'm not sure uh, which county he was okay. from. But here's a sheriff's deputy here. Uh, sheriff's deputy here. Let's, let's take a guess. Let's test the legal waters. Who do you think did it? I'm just kidding. We shouldn't do that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I specifically didn't put his name in here. Yeah, no, no, no. We're not going to be not yeah. going to be pointing. I'm any not fingers. trying to libel anybody. No, no. This is <laughs> a libel-free zone. Yeah, yeah. We are not libelous. Um. All right, so. Uh, my man here, Carlos Rafael, in 2004, he gave a oral history of his life, and it is it's fucking beautiful, dude. Like, this dude is the alpha mind. Like, this guy's awesome. So he was born in the uh, autonomous Portuguese archipelago of the Azores, um, and this was during the Estado Novo, which was the, uh, like, corporatist fascist government of Portugal. Um, and in 1968, when he was 15... Uh, he immigrated to the U.S., and this was after his parents put him into a monastery to escape the uh, the colonial wars that would see the downfall of the fascist government of Portugal. This is when they were trying to regain control of their their various um, their various colonies around uh, Asia and Africa. Um, and he really wanted to go to the U.S. He didn't want to be in the monastery, so he got himself kicked out intentionally in order to force his family to the move to the U.S. so that he wouldn't get did. drafted. <laughs> yeah, I wonder what he shit. did. Yeah, probably some stupid shit. Just wanton <laughs> kissing. Yeah, it was just—he was the most affectionate young friar. Yeah. Um, okay, so uh, <laughs> <laughs> he said uh, his family came straight away to New Bedford once they got to the U.S. And I fucking shit you not, I think this is the Amaral. Um, but his first job was making linguisa at Amaral's linguisa. Wow. Um, which, uh, for those of you who don't know, linguiça is like a mildly spicy uh, Portuguese sausage. It's yeah. delicious. It's not as good as the um, nearly the same, just spicier uh, chorizo. But a lot of people know chorizo as, as the Spanish name chorizo. They don't um, taste you don't don't call that to Evan. They, they are different, but people think when people buy chorizo, it's it's related. Or or andouille sausage is kind of similar. Chorizo is like the pinnacle. The yeah, Portuguese. It, it is. Yeah, it's the. And none of those other sausages come in uh, ground patties. You ever you haven't lived until you've had a ground chorizo or linguiça patty on the grill with a little yellow mustard. 
and that's like all you need. Little, just little yellow mustard and the shit. American cheese, honestly. Yeah. American cheese, yellow mustard, and on just like a, a plain bowl roll. Yeah. yeah. No, it really <clears> is the best. Yeah, it really is. Um, but so, so like I said, I'm not sure if this is Amaral as an Amaral's linguista, like that you can get at the supermarket. It's gotta be. What Amaral? I mean, Amaral's a pretty common name. I've I've even got some Amaral blood in me, so you know what I mean. Um, maybe it is. I'm sure there's a lot of Amaral's making a lot of linguistas. Oh, no, it's and not shitties. Gaspers, it's, and Gaspers is the best. So it's uh, Amaral's the best. Really? Amaral's you're an Amaral's guy. I've always been an Amaral's guy. I know you're a Gasper. Am I an Amaral's guy? You're a, you're a Gasper. You're a Gasper guy. Am I a Gasper's guy? I always thought I was a Gasper's guy. Yeah. You are. Uh, so so anyway, Amaral's uh, and Gasper's are like the um, Coke and Pepsi of of uh, of New Bedford Portuguese sausage yeah. meat packing businesses. I, I think Gasper has a wider range. I know. Uh, you know. I you can buy Gasper's up near me in the outskirts. Uh, of you, you can buy Gasper's in Florida. Um, near Tampa, there's a there's a fairly large Portuguese diaspora there. Interesting. And uh, you can go to like supermarkets. I've been there. You can go to supermarkets and uh, you can get a Gasper. They're both good, Gasper chopped sausage. up in a chopped up in yeah. a cohort. Yeah, they're both they're both great. They're both yeah. great. Um, then there's Michaels too. You know, Michaels has those. Nice oh yeah. Caserla, you can get like the Caserla. Yeah, bowl. Michaels is great. Michaels Caserla is the second best Caserla I've ever had after uh, our friend's dad's homemade Caserla. Yeah, that was good. Yep. Um, so anyway, he uh, he quit his job at Amaral because he just wanted to like chain smoke, and his boss told him that he can't smoke until his break at nine thirty at night. Yeah, absolutely. He told Epa, go fuck yourself. Yeah, yeah, for real. I mean, he left fascism. What is he going to come back to it? Once yeah. He's in America? Oh yeah, like, yeah. He he talks a lot about how he wants like freedom of speech and all that stuff. Yeah. In America, you can't, you can't yeah. tell him that he can't have a cigarette break. What so are anyway, you I, here for? Yeah, so anyway, by his own admission, he'd learned English in order to hit on and go out with American girls. Mm-hmm. Um, That's why I learned English. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, one of many reasons, but that is one, yep. Um, and then uh, by the 1980, uh, so he uh, began his uh, fishing career as a fish cutter, and by the 80s, he owned his first boat in business, Carlos Seafood. Um, and eventually, Carlos would go into control a fifth of the New England cod market. Which um, is huge. Yeah, <laughs> that's a lot which of is, cod. I don't know if anybody, is, if you haven't been here, cod is on the fucking menu. Like, yeah, nobody it, likes it, cod like like waspy seventy five year old New England women. Now remember, uh, I just said that he uh, it was in the eighties that he started owning his own boats. Yeah, and before during the history, it was during the eighties when this was like all collapsing, and right. suddenly this guy comes in as a newcomer and like controls a fifth of it. Uh, um, pretty quickly, right? And despite the overfishing that depleted the markets, all of these new government regulations that came in, uh, they were closing down these places to fishing. There's these heavy quotas. Uh, Raphael was amassing an empire during all of these. Uh, yeah, he's during like, this period, of he's like a Russian oligarch in the <laughs> collapse of the Soviet Union. Yeah, during like the uh, the economic shock doctrine yeah. of like Boris Yeltsin, like somehow you know he just comes in and becomes powerful through these uh, strict regulations. Right. Um, and as it just so happens, Carlos Rafael was sentenced to six months in prison for tax evasion uh, in 1984. Wow. Uh, and then he was indicted but acquitted for price fixing in the 90s, and later would plead guilty to forging sales receipts in 2001. Uh, and during this time, he had called federal fishery regulators the Gestapo and once told regulators, straight up, I am a pirate. It's 
your job to catch me. Right. It's not <laughs> my job to do the right thing. Man, that's I mean that rocks. I Dude, he's like honestly like he's he's a fucking G, dude. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, yeah, I no, I, like I, a, I I have nothing to say. Yeah. I'm a pirate. It's your job to catch me. <laughs> yeah, like that's, like honestly, like respect. <laughs> like respect. Yeah. Yeah. Um so anyway, uh let's get into his hustle. So <laughs> his hustle included selling fraudulent haddock that was actually far more expensive fish, like dabs or gray sole. Um, he, uh, far less expensive? They were more expensive. So he was selling them for cheap? So he was marking them as haddock. Why would he want to make less money? No, because this is what he was doing. He was catching fish. Yeah. And he was saying, oh, I'm only catching haddock. And then when people weren't oh. looking, they weren't haddock. So what he did is he bought up all the quotas in the area right? so that nobody else could fish haddock. And then he could sneak in all of these more expensive fish saying they were haddock. And now, you know, the government is going, okay, all of the haddock that can be caught has been caught. But he's actually out catching. He's using those quotas to catch. And so the people that buy the fish from him know it's not haddock. He's not selling it as haddock. You know why? Because he was taking these fraudulent haddock that were actually far more expensive fish. And he was doing something he called the dance. And he would take his boats down to New York and sell them to mobsters. Wow. And this was netting him $600,000 in six months at the very least. Wow. Now, remember before, how much money did I say he was forced to pay back? $300,000. And he was making at least 600000 in six months doing this. So, like, 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 like 1.2 mil a year. Yeah. And all he ever ended up having to pay back was 300000 Okay. Yeah. He was hustling. Yeah fuck out of this system yeah. and so so no other fishermen could catch haddock they couldn't do it because he had all the quotas but he also wasn't even and catching haddock was saying that he was catching all the haddock and everybody's like okay well i guess all the haddock are caught but they weren't motherfucking haddock the haddock are sitting there swimming they're like damn dude nobody's killing us but he's just picking up all of these like much more expensive like endangered fish and shit or fish that are like under much stricter regulation he's not supposed to be fishing but he's fishing them at yeah. haddock numbers yeah and he's calling the poundage haddock and then he's taking them down and selling them under the table to mobsters in New York. Okay. So at this point, he would pick up the cash in Connecticut where it'd be dropped off. And he would have his homeboy, <laughs> the sheriff's deputy, pick it up and it would help him smuggle the money through Logan Airport. And then they would take the money and hide them in Portuguese banks. And now the specific way he did this is because he could hide uh, – the way that he was hiding it in Portuguese banks is that he was uh, – like not saying that it was like that acquired in America or anything like that or, or acquired by an American. You know, he didn't have to give his American passport or anything for that. Does he, he still have dual citizenship with Portugal? Um, I think he did have to give it up. Okay. But maybe has back. I'm not sure. Um, but anyway, the reason we, we know so much about this is because he detailed the entire fucking thing to undercover agents who came to him posing as russian mobsters <laughs> wow and uh and Raphael was preparing to sell his business and move to cape verde which is right off the coast of africa and these russian he probably mobsters... wanted to move to cape verde and like own slaves <laughs> i remember I, dude <laughs> the portuguese colonies are buck yeah. wild they're yeah. 
<laughs> there was like legal institutionalized and then like off the book slavery in yeah. like Angola and Cape Verde until way too recently. I mean, there probably still I mean, is, but I mean, dude, like even in like like Cuba, there was still like unofficial slavery like up until Fidel. Wow. Yeah, like under Fulgencio Batista, there was still, you know, it was like basically indentured servitude. Like yeah. even though like slavery was abolished in like the late 19th century in Cuba, it still existed. But I uh, thought Fidel Castro was the devil. Yeah. <laughs> but 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 I heard he was the bad guy. Yeah. Huh. I heard that too. I don't know. Wow. But um. So, so he wants so, to move to Cape Verde, and again, yeah. I'm not going to accuse uh, Carlos Rafael of being a slaver. Yeah, yeah, that uh, is. uh, We are not accusing him. We we would never. Yeah, that is parody. Yeah, that's that's satire, folks. Yeah, that's what we that's what we in the professional uh, comedy podcast business call doing a bit. Yeah, but I do think it's hysterical that he uh, left Portugal so that he didn't get drafted into the colonial wars. And then, like, in his later years, it's like, Bastille, do you want to go to them colonies? Ah, the call of the colonies. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, so these Russian mobsters came up to him as uh, uh, posing like they wanted to buy, the, uh, buy his business. And he just straight up admits to him, you'll never find a better laundromat than this. Wow. <laughs> Think that they'll, they'll be able to launder all of their money through it. And uh, he said that he wanted to sell his business for nearly $200 million dollars. Um, despite his IRS documents belying that it was only worth about $21 million. Unbelievable. So this is how much fucking money this guy was Dude. getting doing these hustles for decades. Yeah. But he was just, like, totally open and willing to, like, give up any information to these Russians because he was convinced, oh, there's no way the IRS would use Russians. <laughs> like, like, what? You know Man, what's like, crazy? I feel like it's always... These guys who get away with these crazy schemes and are doing so well. And, I mean, obviously you have to have a certain degree of, like, intelligence and cunning and, and yeah, understanding well, of cunning. economics. Like, it's clearly not stupid. Right. But it's always something that like this that gets them, like, we'll send in two guys and they'll dress up like Russian mobsters. And it's like, well, how is he going to believe that they're Russian mobsters? Well, they'll tell him, you know, hey, hello, I am Russian mobster. Uh, you are fish godfather? Like, and he's just like, yeah, that's me. Yeah, that's what I do. Why? Want to buy my little shit? I'll, t- I'll tell you how I do it. You want to clean money? <laughs> I can clean your money. I'll do it right now. Oh, man. But, um, so he bragged about the millions he was pulling in while other fishermen could barely make a living. Um, Oh, dude, yeah, no, fishermen work hard and a lot of them don't make and much money at him. all. And yeah, he is not. He yeah. is not a beloved individual. I mean, I'm sure he made some money for some people, but um, yeah, no, he's he's yeah. he screwed a lot of folks. Yeah, exactly. Since he had yeah, since he had bought up so many of the haddock quotas, he could just claim fish such as flounder and sole um, were haddock on his forms, and then when the regulators weren't looking, he would just. And I'm sure he spent a lot of time and a lot of money convincing folks that like the government was the enemy. And you could make your own argument about that, right? Like. Yeah. A lot of fishermen are, are upset about the regulations and whatever, and I get it. It's like hard. It. It's hard to make a living, and you know the argument of like what's more important: letting folks feed their kids the same way their families fed their kids for generations, or yeah. protecting fisheries, right? Like that's a whole other debate. Well, you know, the the government could do something like I don't know, maybe maybe invest in creating new um uh new jobs in these communities sure. instead of just uh using which I understand. Dry. Yeah, I yeah. understand putting in the regulations to make sure that we don't, like, 
just irreparably destroy the oceans. But the fact of the matter is the government just comes in, puts in these fucking uh, puts in these restrictions, ruins people's lives, yeah. ruins their sources, their jobs, their source of income, and then just just fucks off and like yeah. doesn't do like doesn't invest anything. It's like the same thing in like West Virginia with like coal mining and shit like that. It's yeah. you can't just like close these places or put restrictions on it and then like not help people out. Like you gotta do something in order to create new uh new opportunities for these people. And that's why, you know so I understand the ire against against these uh the quotas and everything like that. It's because the government just put them there and said, Well fuck off and find something else to do. It's like what else is there to do? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. But anyway. No, yeah. For, seriously, though, it is. It is. It, it's these people are in a very tight spot, and yeah. for someone like this to come in and take advantage of, you know, the the already, yeah, stressed fishing economy, um, and just squeeze it for everything he could get out of it, you know. And then he's buying yeah. up all these quotas for fish that people could have actually gone out and caught. And yeah, sold they could and, have gone and caught the haddock. Right, that's the thing. Like they could have done it. Yeah, and he didn't just so he could make his millions. Yeah. But I mean, yeah, it's like, what the fuck else is government there for? If and on top of that, fish? not just make millions, but he's depleting <laughs> endangered fish yeah, yeah, that yeah, aren't or, supposed yeah. to be getting fished. And he's yeah. doing it at a much higher level than you yeah. know, you're allowed to. Yeah. He's a, I mean, he's, he's a scummy guy. No, oh, he's a very scummy guy. Very scummy funny. Guy. Funny. Yeah, oh, yeah, funny. He's a pirate. Just a piece of shit. Yeah, not a oh. good guy. Uh, so uh, the deputy that helped him smuggle, by the way, would get a one year sentence. Um, for being a corrupt law enforcement officer. Mm. Yeah, one uh, year sounds about right. So, uh, now at one point during the sting, <laughs> Raphael even told the undercover agents, "You could be the IRS in here. That would be some bad luck." <laughs> Homie, you ain't playing, man. <laughs> uh, now, what he didn't know is that very conversation was being recorded. And he said that he believed the IRS would not have Russians working undercover, which led to his guard being down. Now, I agree with the little bit you did before. These probably ain't even fucking Russians. It was probably no. some asshole. Some asshole Hello. named, like, Steve <laughs> or Andrew going, Hello, my name, Nikolai. You have fish, I yes? am here from Russian mob. Yeah. I come from Moscow. I come from <laughs> famous city of Moscow. I drink vodka, I eat potato. Do you have for me fish for money laundering? (laughs) You know, I did time once too. (laughs) It was in Soviet gulag, yes, you've heard. (laughs) I have funny prison story. One time I am in gulag, smashing rock with hammer, and I says to my friend Sashko, I say, Sashko, what if instead of smashing rock with hammer, we are smashing man who keep us in jail with hammer? And he say to me, this is good joke, Misha. You remember this. Maybe one day, podcast, you'll be famous. <laughs> now, of course, this is before podcast, but you understand my meaning. Yeah. <laughs> um, and Carlos yeah. is like, yeah, man, you're in. I believe you. Yeah, fuck yeah, dude. Yeah, let's do it, man. Let's clean that money. That's what I should do. That's well, I mean, clean those this, rubles, man. Is this a is this a bad time for me to quit the podcast? And I'm just gonna go see if I can do accents for the CIA. Obviously, there's a use for it. Yeah, yeah. You can just get stupid jackasses to yeah, like admit to crimes yeah. just by pretending. Uh, you to can be. tell me I am Russian yeah. lobster. You tell me secret, yes. You have secret. I love secret. You know, you know what they say about Russian. 
They're good listeners. <laughs> I'm going to do my uh, my Go accent ahead. reel for, for the CIA. <laughs> Hi, my name's Cam, and I'd love to be a part of your latest sting. I can oh. do numerous voices. <laughs> I can be an old man. <laughs> Where are the bearer bonds, Sonny? <laughs> Um, Where's the fucking blow, Jimmy? <laughs> um, so anyway, in total, uh, in total, during the years 2012 to 2016, uh, Raphael misreported nearly a million pounds of fish as haddock and sold them to his uh, his mobbed up contacts in New York. And uh, yeah, so he went to prison. And uh, guess what? What? That prison sentence is coming to an end. Uh, nice. So as it turns out, he obviously due to COVID was released um, and to uh, uh, like was released into the community, or... but you know under community surveillance. Does he um, have? Is he on like house arrest or? Yeah, it's like so, something like that. I think he can kind of like leave a little bit, but it's like he has to stay within like a small community. Yeah, and he's um, not allowed to in, to in fishing anymore. Yeah, he can never get into the fishing. Now, my question is this: What? Now, <laughs> he still has all his fucking money except for like three hundred thousand. Yeah. Um, and so uh, now he's attempting to get into the real estate business, which he has successfully. So, um. Uh, so he had proposed uh, through an LLC that's owned by his daughter and son-in-law. Mm-hmm. Uh, he proposed to purchase an over 55 rental apartment complex. Um, and he actually just uh, successfully purchased the Merchants National Bank property, which sold at auction for nearly a million dollars last wow. month. Um, and this is via a South Coast Today article in the Standard Times. Uh, Raphael declined the Standard Times request for comment through his attorney. Um, however, he told Dartmouth Week, quote, actually, the government did me a favor by putting me out. I ended up with a bucket load of money out of the deal. And instead of having the money in the bank, I'm investing it. Fuck yeah. He's the American <laughs> dream, dude. He is still the same Carlos Raphael. I, he's got to be a Trump guy. Oh, yeah, I don't know. I Maybe. feel like he must be. Sure, yeah, I mean, he's a con artist. I just have a feeling. Yeah, Yeah, especially when you're talking about like the LLC owned by like son, son and daughter-in-law or daughter and son-in-law. And uh, I mean, that's just that's like classic uh, business moves. Yeah. Making big money. Making big deals. Carlos Rafael from the ocean to the slums. Yeah. I wouldn't want to live in a fucking Carlos Rafael apartment. Just allegedly, I would imagine that allegedly they (laughs) Maybe allegedly not be kept up all that well. Allegedly. Hey, what are you talking about? Those aren't cockroaches. Those are haddock. <laughs> hey, uh, that's uh, you can get a good price for that in New York. I know a guy. Uh, Carlos, there's just a bucket under a hole in the floor. No, that's a bathroom. That's a toilet. <laughs> allegedly. Parody. Allegedly. Yeah. Parody. I don't know any of this. Is, this none of this is true. Yeah. I've never seen. They could be lovely. They could be lovely modern apartments with all the uh, the appointments that a that an industrious young person would want. I don't think they're built yet. Oh, so he wants to build them? Yeah, yeah. I think it's oh, like a, a bid to I like... think it, yeah. I think it's like a like a development plan. Dude, I bet you they have some sort of awesome name. Yeah. Rockaway Estates. Yeah. The, the Villas. Buc- the, the Villas at Hayden Aram by Carlos <laughs> Rafael. Yeah. Would you like to get our upgraded deluxe quahog package with jacuzzi bathtub and deck overlooking scenic 
fucking I don't even remember. <laughs> scenic fucking. What's yeah. I don't know. I don't remember what's in Dartmouth. Scenic fucking Akushnet River, man. See <laughs> the scenic Akushnet River. The Akushnet yeah. River is pretty. Paydenham's pretty. I well, would live Kush- in Dartmouth. The Akushnet River is uh, that's like between Fairhaven and New Bedford. Yeah. That's not pretty. That's not pretty. That's dirty and industrial. Oh, is that the that Fish Island? Like when you drive over Fish Island to get to New Bedford from, I'm sorry, to get to Fairhaven from New Bedford, is that the Cushion? Yeah, the bridge. Yeah, the bridge is over. You know, that bridge is like the oldest or the oldest still operating of that particular type of bridge, I think, in the country. Yeah, I wonder why. The bridge over Fish Island. Yeah, it's a piece of shit. You ever been stuck, dude? The amount of times that I've sat there for 45 minutes, I was like trying to get to your house to just like I don't know drink and be idiots and yeah. it's like wow i probably used it as an excuse more often than it was true most often i was probably just in my jack off cube and i just didn't <laughs> want to be bothered i was probably in my my isolation cube just yeah. i'm going to my cube <laughs> this is bullshit i'll be in my cube <laughs> oh cam's going to his cube oh All god right. slam my flap behind me yeah <laughs> don't listen <laughs> don't, don't listen put on your headphones don't listen Look at the TV. Stop it. No, I'm doing. I can hear you breathing. I'm... <laughs> I know you're out there. I can hear you. I can hear you listening. Yeah. Oh, man. Safe space you in the cube. Drink? The cube is safe space. <laughs> I come out and I'm just like only in my boxers. I'm sweating. Let's <laughs> take a big fucking glass of water. It's like, all right. I gotta go back in. I got some spreadsheets I gotta do for, um... How to, boys. For the podcast. Oh, man. You guys got any... Anybody got any extra margarine? Somebody have a Gatorade? (laughs) Does somebody have a Gatorade Zero? Cool ice? Oh, man. Anybody got a G2? (laughs) Yeah. Oh, man. That rocks. Well, Carlos is Carlos. I mean, I meant what I said. It's basically the American dream, and I feel happy for him that he was able to come here from the Azores, which, as we all know, is a beautiful but not necessarily economically prosperous part of the world. And uh, he escaped fascism, and he made a nice life for himself, uh, gouging people in an already fractured industry and climbing to the top of the. Yeah, in a country of crooks and con artists, uh, he, yeah, he, he thrived. He thrived, and he he, he made it. Um, yeah. And, I mean, it's a little ironic, but what is more in, more of an embodiment of the American dream than that? Clawing yeah. your way to the top of a stinking shit heap and, like, yeah. making sure no one else has a chance of, like, getting any of your scraps. And then when you finally do uh, get your comeuppance, uh, you know... You make a deal where you get to keep all of your money. Yeah, so, your come up is really just like not really. It was come still up insanely profitable for yeah. him. I mean, for somebody with that much money, a three hundred thousand dollar fine is like an inconvenient parking. It's ticket. essentially legal at that point. Yeah, I mean, dude, it, it's 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 an inconvenient parking ticket, or you know, getting your car towed or something. You know, it, it, it's yeah. it's a blip on the radar. He did what? I mean, this is 2015. I was he was sitting at my bar in 2015. So I mean, yeah. this dude did what? Like maybe four years, five years, something. Well, in yeah. There. So he was supposed to have 46 months, but because of COVID, he got out even earlier. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, here he is, out yeah. and about. Yeah. Walking those cobbled streets. Yeah, man. You. I feel like uh, I feel like uh, Martin Scorsese could make a Carlos Rafael based movie and make it awesome. Yeah. You know. 
Just really, I mean, I feel like the the Boston gangster movie fad had its moment in the sun, and now, so now we need the New Bedford gangster movie. Oh man, yeah, these guys mo- scooter drive-bys and oh yeah, the the, stu- the scoot crew dude, scoot crew for life. Just people hustling you at like every intersection, people slamming natty daddies and like yeah, yo that- man, you got a couple quarters right outside the packy. <laughs> yeah, I mean they raised the price from ninety-five cents to a dollar five, so um, I don't have enough money. <laughs> That sucks. Only. That's true. That's a true story, but that sucks. Yeah. I love New Bedford. Me too. I also, like, really am glad I don't live there anymore. Yeah. I still live here. I know you do, and, and you're maybe you're a better man for it. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know why that would make me a better man. But anyway, all right, so, yeah, that was the, the Codfather episode. Cool, yeah. I thought it was great. You did a really nice job. Thank you. Yeah. Maybe next, maybe next week we can do one on the... Uh, the illegal uh, swordfish trade. <laughs> we okay. should turn this into a fish podcast. Yeah. Yeah, we're fishmen now. Fish, fish yeah. crime. Yeah, <laughs> fish crime, dude. We can call it like the scales of justice. The scales of justice, yep. We're a true fish crime podcast. Gills and thrills. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. All right, cool. Well, thank you so much, uh, listener, for for checking out the latest episode of the Left Unread podcast. Um, just like quickly, we're not historians. No, just stop. We don't got to do this every time. Stop. All right. Well, we're not. And uh, <laughs> uh, you can find us on Facebook and Twitter at Left Unread Pod. Uh, you can also find us now on all major uh, podcast streaming services. Your Apple Podcasts, your Spotify. Um, Search We're on left, Google. Left on Red. We're on Google Podcasts now. We're on yeah. iHeartRadio. Uh, you can even find us on, uh, what is it, Overcast. You can find us on yep. Stitcher. Uh, we're, you can we find out us here. on Stitcher, folks. You can find us on Stitcher. Um, yeah, we would love your feedback. Uh, there's obviously more coming in the pipeline, figuring out some stuff, but we're having a blast, yep. and um, we're hoping you guys are enjoying the show because I know we're enjoying making it. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, for the time being, you can expect uh, episodes on Friday yep. uh, for your Friday commute, if you still have those like me, mm-hmm. and uh, or while you're working. Listen yeah, to or them. for your, like, morning shirtless or, bed sweat. Uh, yeah, if you're, or, like, or your cube sesh. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. If, you're sitting, <laughs> if you're sitting and you're in between, uh, you're in between sessions in your cube, um, you can yeah. always cool off with a, a G2 and a nice... A nice listen to the Left Unread podcast. Yeah, and you can get just laugh. A, yeah, get you yourself can just a, laugh. Laugh your shaft off with uh, <laughs> with Sam and Evan. Laugh your shaft off in your bait cube with your with a, <laughs> an ice cold Capri Sun. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, All right. thanks again for listening, folks. We'll catch you next Friday. And as always, if it what doesn't sink you makes you stronger makes you swim (laughs) what doesn't sink you makes you swim swim. (laughs) all right peace